Okay, so we are doing now Monday's portion of Parshas Vayetze. And in the introductory chapter, we learn of Yaakov's leaving his father, almost reaching his target goal of Haran, realizing he passed by the, the holy place where his forefathers, Avraham and Yitzhak Isaac, had prayed, returns, God shortens away for him, he comes to Mount Maria, sleeps there and has a whole vision of the ladder and the angels, wakes up and dedicates, takes this vow and dedicates himself to God in this place, serving him. And now, continuing, so we're up to chapter 29, verse 1. So Yaakov, Jacob, lifted his feet and went towards the land of the Easterns. So what does this mean? He lifted his feet. He went. So Rashi explains that because he got such good news that God had promised him that he would guard him, his heart lifted his feet and it became very easy to walk. So lifting his feet is, is expressing, you know, he's walking with such light feet because he's so happy because of the good news he just received in this vision with God. So now he's approaching outskirts of Haran, of where his uncle, Lavan, lives, which was in general a evil place of evil people. So now he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and sees there three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for from that well they would water the flocks, and the stone on the mouth of the well was large. So he hasn't reached the city proper, or whatever the city was, I'm using that term loosely for those times, the, the settlement of the people, this is on the outskirts where we have the sheep grazing, we have the water, and we have, very unusually, we have this large rock over the well. And Rashi explains that, that this verse is talking about what normally happens, how the shepherds would water the flocks. It's sort of an abridged expression here because it said they would water the flocks, and it doesn't clarify that the they means the shepherds because that's obvious. So what's going on here? So, so Jacob is quite confused because he never saw the well. Why would you keep a stone on the well? The well should be open so people could water. But again, in this place, because people were so... It's honest. They didn't trust each other to just have the well exposed because then anyone could come and take water and who knows how much water you're taking. So they had this massive rock that a person can lift on his own. So only all the shepherds together could lift it. So then all the shepherds are going to lift it and then they're going to water the flock and everyone can see what everyone's going to get and then they're going to put the stone back on for the next day. So this way they were guarding and of course making it much more difficult for themselves because now all the flocks had to gather until you have all the shepherds until they could, any of them could actually water their flocks. And now the verse is explaining this to us, because the next verse says what normatively happened. And all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from upon the mouth of the well, and they would water the sheep. Then they would return the stone onto the mouth of the well to its place. And as Rashi explains, this is telling us, this is written in the language of the normative. This is what they would regularly do, because the stone was so large, because again... They did this to prevent anyone else from getting more water than they got. And this is all written in the present tense as what we would call present perfect, a continual action. So Yaakov, Jacob, sees these shepherds 
with their flocks just hanging out by the well. Now the shepherds are doing that because they're waiting for more flocks to come and more shepherds to come until there's enough shepherds to lift up this rock, but he doesn't understand that. He's like, what in the world are they doing? They're supposed to be grazing the sheep. Instead, the sheep are just here. They're not being grazed. So Yaakov said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we're from Haran. He said to them, so here now Yaakov is continuing, do you know Lavan, the son of Nachor? Because again, that's his target destination to go to Lavan and get married. Do you know Lavan, the son of Nachor? They said, we know. Now, Lavan, of course, wasn't the son of Nachor. Lavan's father was Besuel. Lavan's grandfather was Nachor. But since Nachor was the prestigious person in the family because he was the brother of Avraham, so he's attributing Nachor to his, to Lavan, to his more prestigious relative, to Nachor. Then he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it's well. And see, his daughter Rachel is coming with a flock. They said, yeah, it's well, meaning are you all at peace with him? Yeah, we're proving we're at peace because he feels safe enough to send the flock with a girl. So obviously he knows we're not going to do anything all at peace with him. At this point, of course, Lovin had no sons because if he did have sons, he wouldn't have sent his daughter to be the shepherd. His sons would have been the shepherd. Later in the storyline, as we see the saga of Yaakov and his 20 years with Lovin continuing. So eventually, of course, Lovin, 14 years later, Lovin does have sons because with Yaakov's coming, blessings came to Lovin. Lovin had sons. Lovin became wealthy. All of this were blessings because the tzaddik, the saint, Yaakov is with him. So they said, Rachel, in the Hebrew, it's Ba'a, which could mean came or could mean is coming. And Rashi explains that when the accent is on the final syllable, it's in the present tense. Oh, it's in the present tense. But if it was on the the first syllable, it would mean past. Meaning if it said, it would mean she came. If it says, it means she's coming, which is happening now. And obviously, it's very logical that this has to be the present, because if it was a past, the sentence wouldn't make any sense. So now, okay, so Yaakov got his information. He's coming to Haran. These people are from Haran, so he's obviously very close to Haran. They do know Lavan. All is good with Lavan. Lavan's daughter's approaching him right now. Now, as the tzaddik, he's doing his job, and obviously the tzaddik's job is to connect people to God, which will both include inspiring them to do good and inspiring them not to do bad. And he's thinking right now these people are doing something bad because he doesn't know this is such an unusual situation. He's never encountered people putting rocks on wells to prevent people from, in other words, you could have a rock on a well to make sure uh, dirty things don't fly in, the waters don't evaporate, but it's not designed to be a rock too heavy for any man to lift or even a few men to lift. So when he sees the rock over the well, he's not understanding that they can't lift it. They have to wait for a lot more shepherds to come. So he's looking, he's thinking they're doing something wrong. They're supposed to be grazing the sheep, the shepherds. So if they're the owners of the sheep, well, it's not fair to the sheep. It's, it, it's going against Torah's precept to be kind to animals, for being cruel because the sheep should be eating, and instead they're stuck here just sitting here. And if they're workers, they're not being honest to their employer because they're supposed to be grazing the sheep, not bringing them back home. And it looked to him like they must be bringing them back home because what else would they be doing here? So he's going to recruit them now to do his job of connecting them to do the right thing. So he said, look, the day is still long. It's not yet the time to bring the livestock in, water the flock, and go on grazing. 
like, you know, the day is still long. He, because he saw the flock lying down, he thought they'd bring them home. And again, if you're hired workers, you can do an honest day's labor. And if they're yours, you're not being kind to the animals. They need to eat more, as Rashi explained. So now the shepherds are going to defend themselves and clarify what's going on because they weren't doing anything wrong. This is just the strange customs of this not godly place. But they said, we are unable to until all the flocks will have been gathered and they will roll the stone from upon the mouth of the well and we will water the flock. So they're saying we're unable to water the flocks because the stone is too large. And only when all the flocks gather will we have enough manpower take off this rock, and then we'll water the flocks, and then after we water the flocks, yeah, then we'll continue grazing the sheep. This whole long, slept out process. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel had come with his father's flocks because she was a shepherd. And at this point, as we said, Lovin has no son, so he has to send his daughter to be the shepherd. And it was when Yaakov saw Rachel, daughter of Lovin, his mother's brother, and the flock of Lovin, his mother's brother, Yaakov came forward and rolled the stove from upon the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of love and his mother's brother. So when Yaakov sees Rachel, he's so overwhelmed because this is his destined soulmate. This is, this is Yaakov, put things in perspective, at this point is 77 years old. He left his father's house. His father sent him to get married when he was 63. And then he took a 14-year detour to learn Tyra. So at this point, he's 77, and he's so primed. This is now he's ready to continue his life's journey of serving God and building the Jewish people and get married to his soulmate. Right when he sees Rachel, he knows this is his soulmate. And, and, and build the Jewish people. So he's so full of love. He's just effortlessly, because the tzaddik is perfect in everything, so he's also so perfectly strong. This rock, the stone that, no one could lift unless there were many, many people. He just lifted up. And, and the Hebrew term, as Rashi points out, is just like, it says he rolled it like someone who would remove a plug from the mouth of a flask. It just, you know, it wasn't like he exerted himself and with tremendous, tremendous effort he wanted to take this rock off. No, he just took, took it off because his strength was so great and he had such love now flowing from him. He just wanted to connect to Rachel and to water the flock for her. So he just lifted off the stone. And I guess all the other shepherds around uh, took advantage of the opportunity probably as well. Then Yaakov kissed Rachel and he raised his voice and wept. So of course, when he kissed her, it says, if you look in the Hebrew, Bishak Yaakov Rachel, which would mean like a kiss on the forehead, on her hair. And then he wept. So why did he weep? So Rashi gives two answers. One is that he saw that she wasn't going to be buried with him. Even now, and he knows he's a destined soulmate, and he already saw that they wouldn't be together forever in the physical body because they wouldn't be buried together. Or he cried because he was now empty-handed. And he was thinking when, when Abraham's servant, slave Eliezer, came, he was laden with such wealth. And now he's coming empty-handed. And why did he come empty-handed? Obviously, his father, Yitzhak, who was very, very wealthy, who is sending his son to get married, is going to send him as his father, Avram, sent Eliezer, with loads of wealth. Obviously, Yaakov must have left Yitzhak laden with wealth. 
But what happened was, remember, Asa wanted to kill Yaakov. That was the whole beginning of the plot here of Rivka devising a strategy to get Yaakov away from Asa. So when Yaakov leaves to go to Haran, to Padan Aram, to get a wife, Asa sends Eliphaz, his son Eliphaz, to kill him. But Eliphaz had some compassion in him because he was raised by his grandfather Yitzchak. He had some compassion, with a compassion not to murder, with a compassion not to hurt his grandfather, because obviously, you know, killing Yaakov would be this most devastating blow to Yitzchak. So some slight compassion. I don't want to paint him as a virtuous person. He was not. He was actually a very, very, very evil person. But something there made him feel like, oh, we couldn't kill him. So he catches up to Yaakov, bends on killing him, and then he just, he feels like he can't kill him, but he's still, so to speak, is like, well, you know, my father commanded me to kill you. How could I not listen to my father? You know, there's holy justifications here. Yaakov says, take everything I have. Because a poor person is considered like the dead, so you take everything I have. I, you killed me. So Eliphaz did this in the most literal sense. He literally stripped him naked. Yaakov literally was stripped naked and bare. He wandered and found a, a, a corpse that had clothes on. That's how he got dressed afterwards. And um, Eliphaz took all of his possessions. Obviously, he didn't turn these over to Asa. He kept them for himself. So Eliphaz is very enriched in his very virtuous act here, so to speak. And Yaakov's penniless. Yaakov's thinking, I feel so bad. I'm coming here for a wife and, and I'm penniless. And of course, there's many, many deeper, more spiritual reasons on, on, a, on a more Kabbalistic level. Yaakov symbolizes God's compassion. Rachel, Rachel symbolizes the Jewish people. So Yaakov weeping here is really utilizing his energy of compassion to draw down God's compassion on Rachel on the force energies of the Jewish people. Yaakov told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rivka's son. And then she ran and told her father. Now, father's brother here, well, obviously he wasn't her father's brother. Her father was his uncle, so Raj explains her brother means a relative. And also, on a midrashic level, Raj explains that, why, so why do you say brother? He could have just said, I'm your father's relative. But he was implying, like, don't worry. If, he, if he's going to try to trick me, I'm going to be his brother in trickery. But if he's coming to me as an honest, honest person, well, I'm the son of Rivka, his sister, who's very, very honest. So if he wants to be deceitful, I'll be deceitful. If he wants to be honest, I'll be honest. She went and told her father. Now, here, Rashi has to explain this because previously, in the previous Torah portion, in Tzara, when Eliezer went to find a wife for Yitzchak, and he encounters Rivka, by the way, uh, this girl's aunt, and then Rivka runs and tells her mother, and Rashi says, well, why did she tell his mother? Because the girl tells her mother. So here, why is Rachel going into her father? So Rashi explains that her mother passed away. So she didn't have anyone to tell but him. Even though girls normally confide in their mother, here she had to confide in her father. And it was. When Lovin heard the news of Yaakov, his sister's son, he ran toward him, he embraced him, he kissed him, he brought him to the house. And then Yaakov related to Lovin all of the events. Meaning, 
what's happening here? Love is not the a warm, gracious host. Well, love and remembered. He remembered. Lovin was so greedy and money hungry. So he remembered many years before when his sister was went off to get married to this fabulous wealthy family many years before. Was about uh, we said right now Yaakov is seventy seven. So this was ninety seven years ago. But Lovin has a very clear memory of all the wealth Eliezer, who was the slave, the servant of Abraham brought. He's like, wow, if that's what the slave brings, imagine what the son, Yaakov himself, must be bringing. So he ran because he was so excited to get all of his money. But he doesn't see any money. So he embraced him. He kissed him. So some explained that, uh, Rashi is explaining here that he embraced him because he's like, listen, he must have the gold and it's probably hidden in the folds of his clothing. So let me embrace him to, to get it. Or kissing him, well, maybe the pearls are in his mouth. But then Yaakov, who understood all this, told Lavan what happened. That, um, you know, how all of his money had been stolen from him and he had nothing. So here's Lavan. Loved money. That was a, a guiding influence of his whole life. And he thought he'd get so much money from Yaakov, but somebody else got it first. Another evil person got it instead of him. Now he's like, why? Like, this person is not useless to me. He has nothing to give me. So he says, then Lovin said to him, but you are my relative, you're my flesh, you're my blood. And he stayed with him for a month. So even though I have no reason to take you in because you have no money, but because we're relatives, I'll let you stay for a month. But not, you shouldn't think, you know, God forbid that Lovin was being generous here because he had Yaakov shepherd his flock for a month. So he, he earned his keep. So now a month passed. So now Lovin starts getting suspicious because, again, Lovin is deceitful. So how you are, that's how you look at the world. So since Lovell was so deceitful, he assumes Yaakov here must be plotting some great deceit because it makes no sense. Because here for a month, he's working for free. I mean, Lovell, even though Lovell's pretending he's being so awesome, I mean, Lovell knows that he's getting the better end of this deal because Yaakov's living with him and working and not getting paid. And, you know, he's working all day with the flocks and all he's getting is his room and board. And obviously a shepherd gets more than that. So... He's thinking, what's going on here? This guy must be plotting against me because there's this whole law that if I'm not paying him in the end, I'm going to owe him so much, much more money. So he must be trying to scam me. So I'm going to obviously scam him first, so to speak. The love in there for after the month says to Yaakov, just because you're my brother, you should work for me for free? Tell me, what are your wages? Like, I'm getting really nervous here because if you don't tell me now your wages, I have this feeling you're going to, giving this exorbitant bill afterwards. So, so let's just figure this out now. So even though you're my brother, you, sh- you shouldn't work for me for free. So Lavan had two daughters. The name of the old one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah's eyes were tender, while Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. So tender means soft, because as Rashi explains, everyone said that Leah is probably the Asa's wife, meaning this is like the, the rumor on the street. Lovin has two daughters. Rivka has two sons. So the older son to the older daughter, the younger son to the younger daughter, which means Leah is going to Asa's and Rachel is going to Yaakov. 
And in truth, there was a spiritual truth to this as well. Because Rahul really was the spiritual energy that was looking for Yaakov. Which would mean, in a sense, Leia was for Asa on a certain spiritual level, as we see also manifested in her daughter, Dina. So she cried and cried and cried to Hashem to change this decree. And for years, she doesn't to Hashem to change this decree to the, to the degree that her eyes became all red and soft, teary-eyed from all of her years of davening. But we do see that her davening actually caused this decree to change and be averted. And instead of her going to Asa, she became the wife of Yaakov. So Leah has these very soft eyes from all of her years of crying. But Rachel was beautiful. Beautiful form, beautiful appearance, which Rashi explains the form means the shape of the face, while the appearance is the, the complexion. 